0: Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the danger of an uncommitted life. They were told by Jesus that because they were
1: lukewarm, a mixture of cold and hot, he would vomit them out of his mouth. These are the words of Jesus. An all-patient, loving God who died for them would spit them out. Saying they're Christians, but their life denies it. There's a compromise constantly over and over again. Because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Because you were a Christian once doesn't mean you're a Christian now.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Space travel, supercomputers, and smartphones. In a world of incredible knowledge and technological advances, is it possible to know the truth and still live a lie? That's a simple truth Pastor Xavier confronts while examining the church at Laodicea as he continues his study series with the seventh of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. The
1: six churches have given to us a complete picture of the history of the church from 30 A.D. to the return of Christ. The last one here being Laodicea, the apostate church. You cannot be apostate unless you've been there. You can't fall away from something you never had or ever were. Simple. Ephesus left her first love. Smyrna suffered. Pergamus doctrinal compromise, Thyatira moral compromise, Sardis spiritual deadness, Philadelphia little strength but faithful and now Laodicea lukewarmness all represent a type of the church that exists as you know as well as a Christian until the second coming of Jesus Christ therefore the messages are applicable for all times to all who hear not merely the churches in John's day. The last four, Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia, and now Laodicea, are alive today in their actual form, beginning with the Catholic Church, the dark ages 600 to now. They're powerful, and they're very much alive. The uh, pattern of the seven letters is very much the same proclamation the commendation the condemnation the exhortation and the application only two do not have any condemnation sardis the suffering and philadelphia who is small in strength depending on the lord Busy about the Lord's business. And so the church of Laodicea, as well as the preceding uh, churches uh, we've seen, has a historical background. The, the way God addresses her, the words that he uses, the phrases, the, uh, all, all that makes sense. And so let me read our text, and then we'll begin with the historical information about Laodicea. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 14 says, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your words, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat on my father on, with the Father on His throne. He was here, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The historical background information, very relevant, very important. The city of Laodicea was located about 45 miles southwest of Philadelphia and 100 miles due east of Ephesus. Again, that's modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. The city was founded in 250 B.C. by Antiochus Syria, and he named it after his wife, Leodosi. The city was situated on the Lycas Valley, occupying an almost square plateau several hundred feet high, some two miles south of the river, and was the tri-city region of Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, it was a tri-lacus valley, street cities in that short distance, making Laodicea a very important center of trade. The city was also very wealthy from its production of fine quality of black wool garments and was famous for these clothing garments, especially the tunics called Trimita. And the city was also a great banking center, evident of the fact that Cicero cashed a huge bank draft in Laodicea. So wealthy was Laodicea that in 61 AD, when an earthquake uh, devastated the city, they refused any help from Rome, and they um, rebuilt it entirely on their own. In other words, they were very self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is not good in the Lord. You want to make sure you're Christ-sufficient. Okay? If you trust in yourself, and you think you've got it together, pretty soon you'll lose it. <laughs> you won't. It's the worst thing you can do. The city had a famous medical school, and it had some famous doctors that have been found on some coin, uh, Zeuxis and Alexander Philolilus, and it's connected with the temple of um, Menkaru. And so all these archaeological digs and the things we find and the words and the phrases that are addressed to this church, like the others, are very relevant. Laodicea was known especially for its ointment, known as um, Phrygian powder, which uh, cured eye defects. As well as ear ointment. Both were manufactured and distributed all over the known world of that day. And uh, how interesting that they had this powder that could help people see and help people hear. Yet they were blind and they were deaf spiritually. Interesting. Lea Lucia is modern day eski Isar, the old fortress. Once again, strong fortress, you know, self-dependent. Now, the church of Laodicea occupied the period of church history from 1950 to the return of Jesus Christ. And this is the last one. The word um, Laodicea, two words, Laos people, Diacoa, which means to rule. So the name means the people rule. Jesus is no longer the ruler or the head of this church. It was at the beginning. The custom and practice was that all the bankers and wealthy merchants uh, contributed to the building of the huge stadiums and theaters and luxurious public bathhouses, shopping centers. And the church was no different than Laodicea. It followed the way of the world. As you look to the church today, it's the very same thing. Sounds to you like our churches today. They have all kinds of begging and all kinds of letters and all kinds of raising up funds and this and that. We don't, we don't do that. Finance is God's department. The church was very wealthy, self sufficient, functioning without Christ. Mere methods, strategies, organizers. Laodicea presents the people's church, the apostate church. Laodicea is the democratic church. The people control the church. Identifying modern-day ecumenicalism and the movement that is growing so strong, the momentum is flowing, merging with the one-world mindset. It's the church of the Antichrist. They have no problem going with him. The church of Laodicea, as well as the city, stood for nothing, but it catered to the wishes of the people people go to church this is the goal of churches today to make you happy to encourage you to make your life feel a little more comfortable now jesus wants to do that but he wants to do it through transformation he wants to change your heart and your mind so that you can have the joy of the lord first then you can going to have happiness in the right sense it's because of the lord not because of what you have or who you are no evidence ever existed that Paul ever visited the church in Colossians 4 uh, 2, 1 and 4 he says they hadn't seen his face Paul was uh, contacted by the as you know you're the pastor of told of the heresy that came into Colossae that Jesus Christ is not sufficient so they were attacking his deity okay um, and, and Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says in him you're complete in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and so anytime there's any attack against Jesus get away from people Jesus is complete that's all you need you, you don't need anybody else Laodicea, ironically, was the location where the council was held to establish the New Testament canon in 361 A.D., and again, the religion of Laodicea, much like the other ones, uh, we've gone over many of them. The worship of Escalapius, the god of healing for the serpent with the pole, that's the emblem of the medical community. And also the, um, uh, Zeus, the worship there of Laodicea, again, all these pagan gods, and, and they can, they, they shape God after their own image. They can live in the world, enjoy the world, debauchery, everything else, and they can still go to church and have a good time, and they separate their personal life from their secular life, right? And that's the thing about religion, philosophy. Or anything else. And so, this is the historical background to Laodicea. Now, having this, then we'll better appreciate the words that are stated to her and how she's addressed. Now, notice the proclamation comes in verse 14. The um, identity of the recipient of the letter is to the angel of the church. Notice, Laodiceans individuals we one point as we move along. The word angel, hang again, is a pastor, not the angel. Angels don't preach over it. The church, ecclesia, those call out of darkness into the light. Uh, Twenty times the word appears between one to three. One, two, and three. The only other time you find church, ecclesia, is in chapter 22, verse 16. Between chapter 6 and 19, the great tribulation and tribulation, no church. The only two women there is the harlot, the Catholic church, and then also Israel, who gives birth to the Messiah. There's no church in there at all. God has not appointed to wrap up salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 nine, First 1 Thessalonians 5 9. Make that clear. Notice the name Laodicea, as we said, means the rule of the people. That is why this is the only letter that's addressed to people in the proclamation rather than the church. Notice it's to the church of the ends, the not the church of Laodicea. He's not dealing with the church any longer. He's dealing with individuals who have turned his back on him to call them back. Interesting. Keep that in mind as we move through it. In other words, this was a legitimate church of Jesus Christ at one time. The identity is once again fitting regarding the church here. Notice our Lord identifies himself as the Amen, the title for Jesus. The word Amen in the Hebrew is the idea of acknowledging or guaranteeing the trustworthiness of what is being declared. Usually in response to God's Word, where God says something, somebody says Amen. In the Greek, verily, verily, truly, truly, that's word that we read 152 times in the New Testament. And it guarantees the reliability also. Now, if that same word, amen, is put in the beginning of the sentence. It says, now pay attention. What's going to be said is very important. It's very true. It's very reliable. If you put it at the end of the sentence, once what is said, at the end it says, he confirms. This is true. This is reliable. This tells you it's going to be. This tells you it was. Beginning or the end. Same word. The grammar dictates how it's interpreted. Now, Paul says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. So the glory of God through us in 1 Corinthians one twenty, He is always true. He is always faithful. The Lord identifies himself as a faithful and true witness here. Again, going back to chapter 1, verse 5. The idea is that Jesus was a reliable, genuine witness to mankind during his earthly ministry as a witness to the Father. He came to bring us to the Father. Paul told Timothy this in first Timothy six thirteen, I urge you, in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Jesus Christ, who witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Jesus never denied the Father or himself or anything that he came to do when he was before Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus in um, John eighteen thirty seven, Are you asking then? Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Every who is of the truth hears my voice. So the person who hears and responds and obeys and asks Christ to be that one, this is the one he talks to. Notice our Lord identifies himself as the beginning of the creation. Again, going back to chapter 1, verse 5. The word beginning here, archie, means the person or thing that commences, the first person or thing in a series. The leader, or it can mean that by which anything begins to the origin, the act of cause, the context will determine which one of those is being spoken about? Since Jesus is the creator of all things and without him there is nothing made that was made or that came into existence through him. Therefore, the word cannot mean that he was created. For he is God eternal. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. God was the word. John 1.1. 1, 1. Verse 14. The word became flesh. We beheld his glory. the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He always has been. He wasn't born at one time, created at one time. That's heresy. He is God eternal. And so the word does, does mean that he is the source, the origin, the active cause, the medium of creation. Revelation 1, they told us that. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all part of creation. They're all God. They're all present, all powerful, all knowing. No problem. Colossians says he is the firstborn, proto-tacos, from the dead. The firstborn from the dead, referring to the first imposition of honor in the kind of resurrection, Colossians 118. Not that he was born first, but that he's first in priority in the highest form after the kind of the resurrection. He is the visible form of the invisible God. He created all things in heaven and earth, visible and visible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him. All things consist, they're held together, Colossians 1, 15 and 17. The nucleus of the atom, the atom itself, should repel. It should blow up. That's what happened when they split the atom. The scientists don't understand why it doesn't do it on its own. They call it nuclear glue or whatever. God calls it Jesus Christ. In Second Peter chapter 3, he says that the heavens and the earth will, will melt with fervent heat. Jesus will just let go of those atoms, split the atom, everything gone. Then comes the new heaven, the new earth. This identifying mark of our Lord is most interesting in that it was at Colossae that the heresy of Christ, as I mentioned, came. And it was a neighboring city of Laodicea. Micah speaks about Christ coming from Bethlehem and identifies him going forth from everlasting to everlasting. From the vanishing point to the vanishing point. Eternity. Micah 5.2. So this was a proclamation to the Laodiceans. Next comes the condemnation. Look at verse 15 through 17. The church of Laodicea is so detestable, so reprehensible, that the all-knowing God could find nothing to commend it. Nothing. Jesus knows what they were doing and had done in the past. He has that penetrating vision in chapter 1. He stands in the midst of the churches. And the word work there again refers to that which they were occupied in, undertaking that. But nothing is mentioned because everything was all about them. This is the whole philosophy of the American education. It started in the 70s, low self-esteem. Now self-esteem, we low self-esteem, so we have self-esteem, this and that. Once you get started in yourself, you'll never get off yourself. The whole principle, well, I got to love me before I love others. Listen, if you start loving you, you'll never get to others. Me, myself, and I, the trinity of darkness. Jesus knew their true spiritual condition, declaring his observation, and it's impeccable. Notice he says they were neither cold, regarding their relationship to Jesus. The word cold there means chilly cold, like the waters of Colossae, the region they were at. The word is used of a cup of cold water to drink in Matthew 10:42. The church was indifferent, lifeless. It could not quench its thirst. They were neither hot, regarding the relationship to Jesus, notice, hot, zestos, it means fervent or boiling, we get a word zest from it. They had no zeal or fervency for Christ, he could do nothing for them. God will not force you, we'll see this as we move along. You have a free will, you have a choice to choose who you're going to live for and who through you, through whom you're going to live. They were told by Jesus that he would rather, they were cold. These are the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus is meek and mild. All love. Comes out pretty heavy here. The boiling, fervent temperature refers to the zealous Christian who lives for the Lord. Wants excellence in his life. Never sinlessness, never perfection. But he's turned on and on fire for the kingdom of God. The chilly, cold temperature refers to the dead indifference of a person who's content in some quasi-spiritual condition and regarding the kingdom of Christ. Saying they're Christians but their life denies it. There's a compromise constantly over and over again. And Because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Because you were a Christian once doesn't mean you're a Christian now. We're going to see this as we move along. One writer put it this way, quote, These churches were usually more interested in the social gospel than the gospel action. More interested in reformation than transformation. More interested in planning rather than praying. Examine the churches today in America. They were told by Jesus that because they were lukewarm, a mixture of two, cold and hot, he would vomit them out of his mouth. These are the words of Jesus, underline that. All patient, loving God who died for them would spit them out. Lukewarm means tepid, nauseating. How many of us have not expecting a cold drink, it out? we spit it out because right away I don't even to have to think about it. The word is found only this time in the New Testament. They were indifferent on the things of God and Jesus and did not claim her as his own at this point. Fence straddlers, middle of the road people. Laodicea, despite its wealth, had bad water supply. Interesting, huh? (laughs) All that money. Something basic water. Paul speaks about three types of men, as you know, in the scriptures. The natural man. Who's not born again, I think we would be safe to classify him as dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. Then he speaks about a spiritual man, one who's born again. I would, again, safely classify him as one who's reborn, regenerated by the Spirit of God in Titus 3.5. But then he mentions the carnal man, the carnal Christian. Born again, but yet still ruled by his carnal sin nature, By choice, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. I would safely classify him as lukewarm. I am confident that we can classify religious people, nominal Christians, or those who play church, as ones who are tares among the wheat. Okay, But Peter warns in 2 Peter 2, 1, he says, For it would have been better... For them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Those people cannot be nominal Christians. They cannot be unbelievers. They're turning away from the commandments delivered to them. You have to be there to turn. You have to reject what you received. It's real simple. We'll see this very clearly as we move along. The New Testament does not warn a non-believer about Abiding. He does this to the believer. If there is no possibility of deception of the believer, why write the epistles? Paul oh, it i forget the one." The Colossians, they're okay. They can't be deceived. First John, ah, you can't be deceived. Ephesians, you can't be deceived. Timothy, you can't be deceived. But he wrote them. Why? He warns against deception. Believers are warned against deception, not the non-believer. The non-believer is already deceived. Paul writes to Timothy and gives marks of people in the latter days. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5 and 7. Listen to 5. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Well, I'm a Christian. Praise God. Hallelujah. But they deny the power thereof. Verse 7 says, always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Verse 7. The peril of the sower. Tells us about a Christian. 30, 60, 100. Full Matthew 13. God has called us to bring forth fruit for it to remain. In John fifteen sixteen. Paul says, examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Prove your own self, except you be reprobates. Second Corinthians thirteen five. If there is no possibility, why warn? Paul says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans eight fourteen. You and I need to make sure that God, the Holy Spirit is convicting me, directing me, guiding me, reproving me, dealing with me. Notice 17. Jesus knew the heart of their problem. Ready? Pride. Ooh. Jesus tells them, how they viewed themselves, and that it was self-deception. They said, I am rich, is one of the chief boasts that people are caught up today in the faith movement. Naaman, Nabbit, and Grabit. They're wealthy. Wow, poor Jesus. He needed to borrow a coin to tell a parable, and he had to borrow a tomb. If he only knew about all this. They said, I have become wealthy. They say, I have need of nothing. Prideful, boastful, self-exalting self-evaluating self-sufficient self-deceived self-esteem no self-denial notice Jesus tells them their real condition they did not know that they were wretched which means distress they were enduring toil and trouble being afflicted in the spiritual arena and not even aware of it this describes their condition from God's perspective perfect knowledge the word in this form is found only one other time in the New Testament in 1st Corinthians 15:19, listen, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. This describes their condition from God's compassion. They had all in this life and nothing in the next.
0: Pastor Xavier Rees warns of the things to come for those who are lukewarm in their faith. Important simple truths revealed in Revelation chapter 3. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study titled, The Apostate Church, Laodicea. As always, they're available for just $4. And don't forget to share this with those in your church or Bible study. Now, you can also pick up the entire series, The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation, in one 10-CD album for only $27, or on a single MP3 disc for just $10. This is Pastor Xavier's entire series of Revelation chapters 1 through 5, enclosed in one attractive 10-part album, available to you on audio CD for $27, or in MP3 format on a single disc for just $10. Let us know which you prefer when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or, to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. That's 800-926-1485. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Next time, we'll see how God's persistent love searches out those who are lost. Join us then as Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more simple truths from God's Word. Join us then as Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more Simple Truths from God's Word. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com